0: Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? What's good? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah K podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm glad to have you guys here today. I am I'm excited. Uh we, we finally got some preseason football. Uh, I know you guys haven't heard my voice in a week and a half or so. Um, almost going on two weeks. But, you know, I'm still a college student, so I'm getting ready for I'm prepping for school. Um, and I also just moved. Um but to a new spot. So just trying to get some things settled down. But I am now here. Uh we are going to discuss NFL preseason, um, the biggest topics, the biggest stories surrounding the NFL preseason. Um, and I may have a I got some college football for you guys. So let's get into it. Um, you guys know how we do it. This is the I'm your first, I'm your humble and highly favored host, Isaiah Kitt of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Greatly, greatly appreciated everyone listening, everyone tapped in, everyone supporting the pod. Couldn't do it without you guys. Couldn't do it without you guys. Couldn't make it happen without you guys. Shouts out to all the first-time listeners. If you are a first-time listener, shouts out to you. You chose to be in the right spot today. You could have chosen or listened to any other podcast, or you could have did anything else, but you're right here. And if you are a regular listener, thank you, thank you, thank you. Greatly appreciate it as always. Let's get it going. So let's start with, let's just start with the most talked about topic um, or headline throughout the first week of the preseason. And I think undoubtedly it, it has to be Trey Lance. It has to be Trey Lance and his situation with the Niners. And it, I, I, I must say, this must be like, this has to be like the most talked about backup quarterback battle for a good football team in league history. And I'm gonna sum it up this way. The 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 outing for Trey Lance in that preseason game versus the Raiders just wasn't pretty. Wasn't pretty. He he obviously needs more reps. He like it just wasn't pretty. But the 49ers are not in that space. And, and, and that's the dilemma. The dilemma, that, like the Niners, they're in a dilemma. And, I, I, you know, <laughs> Lance is an experiment. The 49ers, as we all know, because over the last four years, they've been the three NFC Championship games. We all know that they're not necessarily in the business of experimenting, especially with this team, with this roster, with this coach. Like, with this front office, they got some momentum going, and they're trying to win now. They're trying to win now. And, hey, is he a bust? I don't think so, right? Like, I don't know. We can't. I don't know. The whole bust thing is kind of tricky. Like, for instance, I think I think sometimes we struggle to, like, just say, like, hey, a guy isn't going to work out. But, like, for instance, the 49ers, they drafted Solomon Thomas, at, I think at three. They drafted him at three. That was the same draft as Mitch Trubisky and Patrick Mahomes. And they drafted Solomon Thomas. And Solomon Thomas isn't a bad player, right? But we can all admit, like, the 49ers, like, drafted him way too high. Like, he was not worth the third pick. But Solomon Thomas is going to end up having, like, a 10, 11-year career. Is Just because the Niners drafted him at three, that doesn't necessarily mean he's a bust. Because – I, I like it's hard for me to see it's hard for me to say that a guy was a bust when he played in the league for a decade like and that's the that's the momentum that's the trajectory that Solomon Thomas is hitting like it, it looks like he's gonna be he look like he's gonna be a he's gonna be an NFL player for 10 11 years and if that is the case he's not a bust I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily frame that um, or label him as a bust but you know, at that point, it gets to – dudes get overdrafted. Sometimes players get overdrafted. Players get picked higher than what they actually should be. So Solomon Thomas, like I said, not a bust, but he was drafted with the number three overall pick. Clearly, he was he, he was drafted way too high. But if the Niners would have drafted Solomon Thomas in the third or fourth round, you look at that, you're like, oh, man, that, like – 10, 10, 11 year career Solomon Thomas. You look up, like, that's a pretty good pick. Got pretty good value for that. And so, Trey Lance, I was all for the 49ers trading up and going to get Trey Lance because I'm an upside guy. I like to see the upside in these raw, um, talented prospects. I'm an upside guy. I always go with the upside. And the whole dilemma was, you know, The Niners, they weren't really on on Justin in on Justin Fields. It reportedly it was between Trey Lance, Mac Jones. I didn't like. I thought the Niners, you don't draft Mac Jones. You don't you don't draft because there wasn't much upside there, and redundant skill set. Like you already had Jimmy Garoppolo in the building, and you're only drafting the quarterback because Garoppolo can't stay healthy. So. You had a redundant skill set with Mac Jones and Jimmy Garoppolo. Really similar guys. Um not the strongest arms, accurate, but in terms of extending plays, being able to make something out of nothing or out of broken plays, there's just not elite type of skillings, right? At least with Trey Lance, with him being a raw as raw as a prospect as he as he as, as he was. And, but there was upside like the upside. We were all thinking about the upside. Like, hey, with this kid, with a Cal Shanahan can, you know, tutor, you know, clean up the chinks in this kid's armor and, you know, put it all together. He can put the skills all together. You have something. And I've been saying this uh recently over the past couple of couple 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 of episodes and just thinking about it in terms of these prospects and raw prospects turn into they don't always just stay raw prospects raw prospect turn into raw players and that is what Trey Lance is that that that's what he is now he is at this point he is just not a just a raw prospect he is a raw player and he needs reps but he is just not good at the quarterback spot right now he's just not he's just not um when I watch him, he looks very uncomfortable. His movements are very robotic. Um, <clears throat> pre-snap for, for a guy that's in year three um, or going into year three, he makes simple pre-snap mistakes. Um, his processing is slow. Like, for instance, this past preseason, his first preseason game, his num- you look at his numbers, like, oh, man, Trey Lance didn't play that bad. But – First, I can first assure you that Kyle Shanahan isn't looking at numbers. Like, a lot of these coaches don't give a damn what the numbers say. They're going to click on and turn on the tape. But you click on and turn on the tape, there's just, just like, really simple mistakes that Trey Lance is still making. And it's like, that's a no-no. Like, it's an absolute no-no. But, for instance, his numbers, Trey Lance's numbers, are really, really deceiving. Like, first, QBR is a little inflated because dudes dropped two picks, but he threw two picks. Like he threw two through, he threw threw balls that should have been intercepted. One of those interceptions or supposedly interceptions was a touchdown. He threw the ball. Dude dropped Raiders. Dude dropped the pick. Drew, dude dropped the pick tips. It, it go, it falls into the hands of a 49ers player. Like it's, it's stuff like that where it's like, okay, like that, that's luck. Right. But, you just watch him. You watch this preseason game. Anytime you watch Trey Lance take his reps or take snaps, he just he like he's just not that good. Like he's not that good. And like I said, I was all for the Niners drafting Trey Lance, going up and drafting him because I was like, hey, the upside's there. And for instance, this is why we have a lot of quarterback misses, and you know, certain guys are able to ascend um, or certain guys kind of plateau. But there's a lot of misses because some guys can see the field, but they like physically, like the physical talents just aren't there. So they can't make all the throws and so forth, and they can see the field. But sometimes plays, they just can't make plays. They can't make those type of plays. And then on the other hand, there's guys who can't see the field who processing Who processing isn't that great, but they can make all the throws in the world, and they have like physical traits off the charts. And you know, sometimes coaches tap into that, and sometimes coaches feel like you know the coach got big egos. Sometimes coaches like, hey, I can I can help this player. I can I can mature this player. I can get this player to be better. And sometimes it just doesn't work out and it goes to show you this quarterback thing it's not it's not guaranteed it's it's not guaranteed but like for instance uh Trey Lance he got sacked 4 times pressured 4 times he was supposed to be he was labeled as a dual threat quarterback a dual threat quarterback i don't see the dual threat i mean we already know he's not accurate right like we know he's not accurate at all and accuracy is going to be an issue but where's the elusiveness? Where, like where where where's the elusiveness? Like if Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields, if they get pressured four times, one or two of those times, at least at least one or twice, once or twice, they're gonna find a way to elude the pressure and to extend the play or make something out of nothing. With Trey Lance, I don't see that. I don't see that ability to extend plays. I I, I just don't see it. I it's just not there. It's just not there. Um, you start the game with three three and outs. I mean, like I said, you turn on the tape. His numbers are deceiving, and it's just a—it's uh, just not working. It's not going to work. And for the Niners, for the Niners, they drafted. They the, the timelines off. The Niners know. They know. They have a win now roster um, over the last four. Like I said, over the last four years, they've gone to three NFC championship games. They have a win now roster, but they drafted a quarterback that they thought could be good. Eventually, the timelines are just off. The timelines off. Trey Lance is an experiment. Trey Lance needs reps. NFL experience in-game live experience in reps. He's an experiment. But the Niners are not in that space. And Trey Lance, I mean Kyle Shanahan, I, I just know like for like it, the news came out that like Brock Purdy is essentially going to be the starter. It would have to it would have to be like a fall from grace in order for Brock Purdy to lose the job. So Brock Purdy is essentially the starter, and I can probably I can probably guess that like Trey Lance is going to be the third the third stringer. He's going to be the third string quarterback. But like, it's just not working. He Like, Trey Lance can't even make the layup throws. He can't make the layup throws. And like I said, he's not accurate. The whole passing thing isn't that great. And his mechanics are a little out of whack. I mean, at least with Justin Fields, we know Justin Fields, we, we, we want to see him take strides as a passer. But at least with Justin Fields, like, we know he's not the best passer right now. But, like, that dude is the most he, – he he is the best athlete on the field. Like, he's the best athlete on the field. So, at least he has that going – like, he at least he uses his legs and the elusiveness and the athleticism is there. At least we see flashes. Like, with Trey Lance, I just haven't seen no flashes. I haven't seen no flashes. I just haven't seen it. It doesn't look comfortable. Like, even with some of these rookie quarterbacks, with Bryce Young – it, you know it's just it's it's he's a rookie. everything like like everything is not gonna be perfect. it's not gonna sometimes it's not gonna look good. but at least with Bryce Young, I see a certain comfortableness. I see a certain like he's just comfortable, like standing in there, making plays. i I see the comfortability with Trey Lance it it seems very awkward. And you don't it you don't have to be uh like you don't have to be Bill Parcells or Bill Walsh or Andy Reed or some quarterback guru to see that like Trey Lance isn't comfortable. He makes simple pre-staps, pre-snap mistakes that like typically that college quarterbacks usually shouldn't be making. He's making those mistakes year three into the NFL. And he is like right now not capable of being a starting quarterback for a team like the 49ers who we think they, they got like three, like they're, they're one of the juggernauts in this league. Like you, you list out, you name the Super Bowl contenders, the 40, you you name the chiefs, you name the Eagles. You got the 49ers right there. They're going to, we, we expect them to be in the thick of things. And he, he can't, he can't play. He can't play the quarterback position for this team. He can't. And it just goes to show you the quarterback thing like it's not perfect it's in it's in in and, and it's not always a guaranteed thing quarter like you can have like Trey Lance literally for especially for a rookie quarterback or I should say a young quarterback not a rookie no more but for a young quarterback Trey Lance has everything you need to be successful he has great play caller offensive minded coach one of the best offensive minded one of the best offensive schemes in football and it's an easy, it's a a very quarterback friendly scheme. He has that going for him. He has the roster. He has a great offensive line, really good running game, weapons on the outside, like really good defense. It just goes to show you this quarterback thing is not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. And then like lastly, sometimes people wonder like how does a guy like kirk cousins kirk cousins he's been in this league for, for for he's like he's a 30 like he's a 10 year starter 10 plus year starter kirk cousins he has a lot of seasons under his belt kirk cousins is very much a respectable quarterback and sometimes doesn't get the true respect that he should be getting but you ask yourself you wonder why kirk cousins is going into you know, 10, 11 years as a starting viable franchise quarterback. Instinctively, quarterbacks just have something that just go off. And like I said, some coaches can coach up dudes that are raw and that have chinks in their armor. But something as a quarterback, like instinctively, has to happen. And with Trey Lance, I don't think he has the quarterback instincts. Like, he don't have just instincts or plays where it's like, man, like he felt that instinct. It's hard to really quantify. But if you look at his tape, like I said, you don't have to be a Hall of Fame level coach. You don't have to be, like, you don't have to be a quarterback guru to really see that, like, instinctively he's just not, he just doesn't have it right now. He doesn't have what it takes to be an NFL-level quarterback starting NFL level quarterback doesn't have it doesn't have it so it was a whiff the pick was a mistake and if he if he turns out to be the third string quarterback I wouldn't be surprised if the Niners try to find a way to shop him and whoever they trade him whoever they trade with for him or you know they trade him to they the Niners they'll probably eat half of his salary and also probably have to give up draft compensation because of his contract situation. So that's just what it is. That's what it is. I, I, I can't, I mean, that's just, Trey Lance, and, and and that's the thing, the 49er fan base, they're smart. They've, they have they have experience, they have seen good quarterback play, and it's no fooling, like, like this, this fan base is really smart, they care, and you can't, fool them about quarterback play because they have seen and experienced some good quarterback play. I interact with them a lot on Twitter. Like the 49er fan base, I interact I interact with a lot of them on Twitter, and I see a lot of their tweets. I see a lot of their, their social rooms, and they're a smart fan base. And it doesn't take a rocket science to see that, like, hey, Trey Lance just does not have it right now. He just does not have it, like, at all, does not have it. And, and, you know, looking back at it on that 2021 draft, you look at some of the, you look at, if we look at the quarterbacks, because that draft gave us a lot of great position players. Uh, Peninsula, uh, Jamar Chase, Michael Parsons. Like, we're talking like these guys are elite, all pro caliber type of players. But if we're just strictly looking at the quarterback spot, you know, and it kind of it kind of shows you how weird of a year 2020 was, especially within sports. Because, for instance, in 2020, the COVID year, Mac Jones and Alabama absolutely dominated. They dominated anybody that they played. Record-setting offensive year for Mac Jones and Devonte Smith and that entire offense, just in general, right? But we got a we had a we had a litany of great skill players coming out of that draft. Um, from receiver to defensive guys, rushers, and, and offensive linemen, great draft. But the quarterback spot is so weird. It's already difficult enough to draft a quarterback in like a regular year. But we look at Trey Lance, you look at Zach Wilson, um, and this kind of this this kind of goes to like where like where you went to school. Because during that year, the SEC, they didn't miss a beat because the SEC, their slogan is it just matters more. In Alabama, their training facilities were open like they and given the, you know, geographical reasonings, they, you know, their governments and their 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 politicians, their lawmakers were, you know, (laughs) you know, they were a bit more lenient to COVID and COVID rules. Um, So. They, they, The SEC had an advantage and a lead way. And a program like Alabama, who was already pretty dominant um, just in a regular year, with those extra advantages, it kind of made them really unstoppable. So they didn't miss a beat. But with, like, Trey Lance, and I talked about this going into that year's draft, he only played one game. He only played one game in 2020. So we had, obviously, his 2019 year. But then basically we had one year, one game of 2020 tape of Trey Lance. Um, Zach Wilson, he went to BYU. And obviously we know that Zach Wilson, you know, his his first couple years as a starter hasn't really panned out. You know, maybe the Jets are holding out some hope um, that he can turn it around, right, With Aaron, especially with Aaron Rodgers in the building. But you think about BYU, well, BYU, pretty respectable program. And they've had a lot of guys get drafted, and they they're non and obviously we know BYU is um independent. Their non-conference schedule, or their their schedule, is usually really good, but in that particular year, if you look at BYU, BYU's schedule, it was not that great, and it was not as strong as it was in previous or as it is usually because a lot of those schools that they were going up against or that they usually play they either canceled all of their non-conference games or didn't play them at all like they just didn't play their non-conference games so that so BYU's 2020 schedule with Zach Wilson had his breakout year um it like I'm not going to say it didn't count but like the the level of competition wasn't that great so, in terms of like that, that particular year for, you know, for, for the quarterbacks, it was really hard to evaluate. And you could, you could argue like, hey, you know, th- with the 2020 scouts, people got, a, you know, these quarterbacks were able to manipulate the process. And a lot of what you saw was kind of fool's gold, right? From those guys. Um, Cause even if you think about it, Jamar Chase Micah Parsons those guys didn't even play they set out those guys didn't even play their that that 2020 season so it, it it's kind of interesting looking back at that draft where you had Mac Jones who I like I like whatever I said about Mac Jones back then I still think it I still that's my same evaluation of him um but with Trey Lance and Zach Wilson with them with their situations really really peculiar, and they had some like Zach Wilson. In his case, he had that breakout year in 2020. But if you look at it like, eh, eh, he had an okay college career. He had a breakout year in 2020. Whereas on the other hand, with Trevor Lawrence, who seems to be like he's destined for superstardom, even even with without the 2020 year, we had multiple years of Trevor Lawrence on the big stage coming through. Right, like. Big stage coming through, balling out, showing why he was one of the most touted uh, high school, college quarterback prospects ever. Right, and even with Justin Fields, he's trying to find his way. We did like we had multiple years of Justin Fields balling out um, at the at the highest level um, of college football and the college football playoff and so forth. So that's just that, right? But I, I, that's just something to top it off with that uh, with that Trey Lance topic. But I want to shift gears to another situation that's going to get a lot of talk, that's going to be highly talked about and discussed, and it's the Denver Broncos. And I don't – obviously, expectations were sky high for the Broncos last year. They fell below them, like, massively. They massively underachieved, and coaching wasn't great. Obviously, quarterback play wasn't great, and I don't—I really don't know what to think of this Broncos team. Um, I've been trying to like—I'm thinking heavily about my predictions because I'm—I'm gonna I'm be doing my NFL predictions really, really soon. Um, to to cap off to at the you know at the later part of this month, and I don't know. If you were to ask me, do the Broncos feel closer to a seven-win team, seven, eight-win team, or a team that can win 10 or 11 games, I would probably lean seven to eight. And I, I think our expectations, I want to temper our expectations because I think, once again, like, and for—and I'm not saying people are wrong for having this type of thought process, but, you know, Sean Payton is a, I would say, an all-time great coach, right? Like, I think, I think he's deserved that. Um, or deserving of that title, like he's an all-time great coach. Um, and his time in New Orleans was really, re- was was really good. Like Super Bowl champion, got to a bunch of playoff games, won a bunch of playoff games, and so forth. Um, and with Drew Brees at the helm, and so forth, right? And first, and I think Drew and Sean Payton kind of like they kind they were like equally yoked, and they meshed. They were like a good tandem like both of them came at the same time um obviously drew was trying to overcome the injuries uh just just left san diego oh, turns out he has a great second half to his career and sean payton his, his sean Payton's success obviously correlates with that and he becomes like one of the all-time great offensive coaches that this game have seen with and the dynamic was like Good there, and it fit with Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. I don't know if they're like their two personalities, I don't know if they mesh like right now, especially at this point of their careers. Like, both have had success. Russell Wilson has made you know, he's the hundred million dollar, two hundred million dollar quarterback, married to a supermodel in Sierra, um, has a family, but has kind of developed. And I like Russ. But he's kind of developed this weird, awkward, uh, you know, personality and persona about himself that's kind of like taking on the life of his own over the past couple years. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's been rubbing people, to, the, the you know, rubbing people off the wrong way. And with Sean Payton, he is this. He's this hard ass. Bill Parcells, he has that kind of Bill Parcells mantra and he's been, he's had a lot of success. I I don't know. I don't know. I I think a lot of people are bullish that, hey, Sean Payton, he is that good. He's so good of a coach, which I think he's a really good coach. But some people think, hey, Sean Payton can get Russell Wilson back to playing like a top eight, top 10 type of quarterback. A lot of people think so. We'll all see. Like I think in order for the Broncos to really be like a a team that I think can win 10 or 11 games and make a playoff or make him you know contend for a playoff spot I think Russell has to be like really good. I think he has to be really good because quite frankly uh, their offensive line is is okay. It's not it's not good. It's not a good offensive line. So he's going to have to be able to make some plays. And I felt like Russ is trying to go – he was trying to get into this new mode of pocket passing and trying to be a great pocket passer. But when you think of Russell Wilson and what, what makes Russell Wilson unique and great is his ability to ad-lib and extend and, and, and make plays and do something and make something out of a broken play. That was Russell Wilson's unique, special trait and ability – he also throws a really good deep ball, but like they signed like the Broncos, they signed Mike McGlinchey. He's a really good right guard. He's not Lane Johnson. He's like he's like he's not on that caliber type of offensive lineman, but good run good run blocker, a limited pass pro type of guy. He's not. He's an average pass pro um, guard. So I don't I don't I don't quite know how I feel about Denver. I just want I really want us, especially this year. I want us to try to temper expectations. And I don't know. Let's 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 make Denver shock us. Right? Let's make the Broncos shock us. If they shock us, if they turn out to be a 10 and 17 and they finish second in the division and they're in the playoffs, like okay, let's let's be shocked. But Already, I kind of feel like expectations might be a little bit too high or a little bit higher than what they actually need to be for the Broncos to be successful this year. Um. Also, Jordan Love. I know some people, Jordan Love, this is going to be quick because I want to get to some college football. Jordan Love, Um. I don't know. The Packers, how do I feel about Jordan Love? I'm feeling like Jordan Love, the Packers want him to be a game manager. And I think Jordan Love and his agent probably knows that now. Obviously I've kind of spoken about like the ways this can go. This Packers roster, but especially the pieces on offense. There, this is not a bad offensive group for a young quarterback. This is not a bad offensive group. You know, he got some young guys on on every on at the receiver position. Um, you still have Aaron Jones, uh, a, a more than capable offensive line. You got AJ Dillon, uh, and you got Matt LaFleur as an offensive coordinator and play or offensive play caller or so forth. And they're gonna it's not gonna be really, they're not gonna ask him to be Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre. Like so they're just not gonna ask him to do that. That's that'd be unfair. <laughs> that'd be unfair. But if Jordan Love can muster up 24, 25 touchdowns eight to nine interceptions and win about eight nine games with this roster. that's not bad. that's not bad and the value of quarterbacks and the amount of money that quarterbacks are getting paid is just enormous. It's enormous. Think about Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones like and it's kind of funny how like the narrative can change so fast and so quickly. but Daniel Jones literally. Daniel Jones was looked upon as like we, he was a laughing stock. And we thought like this was his last chance coming into last year. But, you know, Giants didn't pick up his fifth-year option. And Daniel Jones goes out and have a he has a respectable season. Leaves the Giants to the postseason. Actually gets a playoff win. He gets $40 million. And <laughs> Like it or not, and we can debate all day alone. like we all know Daniel Jones isn't like a $40 million quarterback, but quarterback position is so valued. If Jordan Love can just, like I said, if he can just muster up 23, 24, 25 touchdowns, eight or nine interceptions, play ball control, be a game manager, and, you know, win the Packers eight, nine games, what's his value? His value might be $20 million. That's not bad. That's that's $20 million over two, over three. Like, that's not bad. If in if Jordan Love, if he can do that, I don't think the Packers would be mad. Cause like realistically in the NFL, you're you you do not go from Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers to another all-time great quarterback. Like that's just not that's just not how it works. It usually don't even work after like you just don't go from Brett Favre to Rodgers. The Packers are just lucky enough to do that. But if Jordan Love can just be a simple game manager, don't make mistake, make the layup throws, you know, unlike Trey Lance, I mean, you might got something. You might got something. But you look at Danny Jones and you look at – there's been some other examples like a Geno Smith where, you know, everybody thought the Seahawks were going to be, like, horrible. And no one was expecting Geno Smith to have the ca- – like have a Pro Bowl caliber year. Geno Smith, what do you know? He throws for over 4,000 yards. I mean, he was the most accurate deep ball passer last year, threw for 30 touchdowns, and led the Seahawks to the playoffs. Next thing you know, he gets a big time deal. He gets a he gets a respectable deal. Jared Goff. You know, everybody was laughing at Jared Goff. Now there's talk of Jared Goff getting an extension, depending on what he does this year. So if Jordan if Jordan Love can just be a game manager and if he could just produce and make the layup throws. I don't see why this Packer team couldn't win eight games and he could be he could be in line for an extension that's worth about 20, 25 million dollars. Quarterbacks are really valuable. Um, So that's just that. Um, I want to shift gears to college football. I'm going to after this quick break, we'll talk about some college football. OK, so we're back. Um and obviously i'm going to talk college football realignment and then i'm going to give you guys my prediction i'm going to i'm going to start doing predictions for college football but um yeah so after colorado left the Pac-12 and they decided to go to the Big 12 i talked about that and i thought it was a good move i thought it was a very i thought it was a good move in terms of how soon and how fast the administration uh, of Colorado moved. Because, I, as I mentioned in that episode, there were two other big-time or bigger programs and bigger brands that were going to make decisions pretty soon. So, I, I predicted, right, that Oregon and Washington were the next two schools to make their decisions. And, little do you know, they're going to the Big Ten. I think this is obviously for the Big Ten. They get two notable two big brands, big time brands in markets to add to the Big Ten. The Big Ten is just adding to their, you know, their their expansion out west. And they're gonna have that Nike money. So in terms of like brand dollars and cents, it's a really wise business move. Um, and then with Oregon and Washington, they get to the Big Ten. They're gonna see bigger paydays than they have ever had. Um, they're gonna obviously be in some stiff competition with the with that like that. The Big Ten conference is ama- It looks amazing, and I just can't wait to see these matchups. Could you imagine Oregon playing Ohio State, Washington going to going to Penn State? Like, oh my goodness, the matchups are gonna be absolutely phenomenal. And as we all know and if you don't know money calls the shots money calls the shots and uh, uh, like yeah like people if people are wondering or like trying to figure out like why are all these conferences money the simple simple point question answer is money that's the simple reply money money is the reason why these type of moves are being made Simple as that. Simple as that. So I'm not surprised um, that this move was made by Oregon in Washington. And the Pac-12, as we as we used to know it, um, it is no longer. No longer at all. And it's funny, because I was talking to an older guy in his 50s. And, you know, I was talking about, you know, I was, you know, talking about college football expansion. He was like, man, I hate it. And I, I I can understand it because with Oregon and Washington leaving and going to the Big Ten, it now has the question, and this happens, this is gonna happen with any time, anytime like schools move, leave to different conferences, um, or go to different conferences. It's like what happens with the Oregon and Oregon State rivalry? What happens with that rivalry? That's a, that's a huge rivalry. What happens with the Washington-Washington State rivalry? You know, like, so, like, I get it. And a lot of it is that nostalgic feeling. And it's kind of crazy to think about it because going into this year in college football, we're going into, like, after this year, the way we have looked at college football and what college football has been since we've been watching college football it is going to be totally different and this is the last year of college football as we know it it's kind of crazy to think about it like that and like Nick Saban has been really vocal about you know him about you know him particularly like hey i don't i don't like the direction that the sport is going in in terms of expansion um or he doesn't or i should say he doesn't like college football expansion or like the whole conference expansion but that's i think that is the reality of it college football as we know it and as we've been watching it since we've been alive it's this is the last year of that and then next year it's going to be total it's going to look totally different so it should be interesting um the Pac-12 they're the way how we think about the Mountain West that will be the pac 12 that that will exactly be the pac 12 um you know the whole like we all know the pac 12 winner and the big 10 winner the winner of those conferences they play in the rose bowl they play in the they play in the rose bowl so we, we we're just gonna have to see how this like how everything just plays out but it it is definitely we're gonna it's, we're getting closer and closer to a new day in college football. Um, so I'm gonna make my predictions. I'm gonna start doing my predictions conference by conference, and obviously I'm gonna start with the SEC. Um, you know the Big Ten they have made some really good moves, and their conference is as deep as it can be. But you know what they say in SEC country, it just matters more, and it it it, it just matters more. Um, and obviously, like for instance, let's just start it. Joe Milton and Tennessee really, really Tennessee really revitalized itself um, last year, where Hendon Hooker had a really good year. Um, Joe Milton physically is a dis—he's a different specimen, and he's one of those physical freaks where it's like, whoa, like. He has eye-popping arm strength, eye-popping athleticism. He should – Joe Milton in that Tennessee offense should be really good. So you can't overlook Tennessee. You just hope that their defense can get better. Um, old Miss under Lane Kiffin. I mean, you know, the Lane train is going. Their defense should be really good this year, unlike it was last year. They have arguably the best running back in the country. We just have to figure out what the quarterback situation looked like. So obviously you can't, you can't overlook or just dismiss oldness. Right. But I'm going to, I'm just going to, I hate to do it, but I'm just going to say it. Georgia is the top dog in the SEC and in the SEC East until further notice. Um, They're bringing back 70% of their production defensively Um. Coaches, I've been I've been listening and wanting, you know, reading some um some articles and the coaches. Obviously, Georgia they lost some they, over the last two years. They've lost a litany of NFL guys. But if you read some of the stuff out of spring camp and some of the things that coaches are saying, they're like, granted, we may not have the high end talent in those high end NFL dudes, but they feel like they have more depth and they're deeper and they say they're better. So, I don't know how like that a couple years ago that defense was historic. I don't think they're going to be that good type of like good, but I expect this Georgia defense to be really good um and play at that Georgia level. Um also, Georgia has Brock Bowers. Uh, I know a lot of people are questioning or wondering about like hey, Carson Beck, how was he going to look at the quarterback spot? They lost Stetson Bennett. And the one thing about I can say for this Georgia team and Kirby Smart and since he's been down there, since he's taken over in Georgia, Georgia, with their level of dominance and with their winning, it has never been quarterback dependent or quarterback centric or even offensively dependent or offensively centric. Like they don't. Then, you know, and I, I don't want to take anything from Stetson Bennett, but he made he, and he made some plays, and he made plays when plays needed to be made. But Georgia's not relying on their quarterback play or even their offense like U, USC does. Like, USC, week in, week out, they're counting on Caleb Williams to be Caleb Williams and to be the best player in the country. Georgia, they're not they are not going to need that from Carson Beck. um, And they have never asked their quarterbacks to be that type of player. Carson Beck, I don't think he's going to – I don't think there's going to be a significant drop-off in terms of the quarterback production and the quarterback play. I actually tend to think that Carson Beck is a little bit more physically gifted and talented than a Stetson Bennett was. So you – we actually might see them become a little bit more dynamic in terms of their down the field, you know, passing. Right. So the whole thing about like, Hey, Georgia's offense and Georgia quarterback, like they've never have been quarterback centric and they don't need their quarterback to be like Superman. Like they have a well oiled, well balanced machine in terms of their overall roster. So, I don't, I don't feel like there's like there's gonna be the issue of quarterback production. Uh, like I said, Brock Bowers is an alien. Um, outside of Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr., Brock Bowers is the next best player after those two guys. And really, honestly, there's an argument for Brock Bowers being the best player in the country. Like, like I just, I, I, in my opinion, I would probably rank him three after Harrison and Williams, but Brock Bowers is an absolute alien. He's an he's an absolute alien. So, you know, like I said, Carson Beck, you know, you can look at Brock Bowers, number 19, and he'll probably be open, right? Um, I think Georgia's only thing is they can't get complacent. And I honestly don't see them being complacent. So I have Georgia as one of those teams that will make it to the SEC Championship and win the sec east out west i think the top two contenders is lsu and alabama um lsu is very interesting Uh, i just wonder i wonder can they be as dynamic uh in terms of their passing game I, i i worry about the consistency of lsu so i'm gonna go with bama to win the west um unlike last year and bryce young was phenomenal i felt like the whole plan last year was like hey We have Bryce Young. He's one of the best players in the country, week in, week out. He's gonna be able to. He's gonna give us a chance to win games. Just put the football in his hands. And I feel like you know, okay, they got them to the Sugar Bowl, but Bama just wasn't Bama last year. And I know a lot of people are like they're called. They're already trying to call it off. Like, hey, Bama, they're not the same. And Saban is falling off. And like y'all, since 2019, Alabama. Has either they they've finished in the top two in recruiting. <laughs> like, yeah, come on. Bama is not going nowhere. Bama is fine. Bama is absolutely fine. They have finished top two in the recruiting over the last five years. I don't see that changing. They have dudes all across this roster. They have like, and granted, Bama, they're gonna get back, and I think they have a plan this year they're not going to be so quarterback dependent. They're not going to be so quarterback centric. And in years past when Bama was like similar to Georgia, when they weren't as quarterback centric, they tend to be better because they have a plan, they know what they want to play like. They're going I feel like Bama is going to get back to running the football, controlling the line of scrimmage, controlling the, the, you know the play within the trenches. So I'm going to go with Bama to meet Georgia in the SEC championship game and Atlanta, and I'm going to take the Georgia Bulldogs to win the SEC. Um, I feel like they just have a little bit too much. Um, it's, It's their time, but Bama will be Bama, and they'll be still in the thick of things in terms of the college football playoff. But Georgia is my SEC winner. So that is my SEC prediction. Um, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up. I hope you guys had a good one. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Always remember two choices, one decision. I'll be back later this week. Enjoy. Peace. Deuces. I'm out.